Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Force. Join us now for a service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want you to grab your Bibles tonight and turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to teach you for just a few moments tonight on a subject. We're still, we're still in the, in the um, spiritual warfare series. And I want to talk to you tonight about it takes the anointing. It takes the anointing. Touch your neighbor and tell them, say, it takes the anointing. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to examine the anointing just a little bit. There's absolutely no way in the world that we can exhaust the subject of the anointing in 30 or 40 minutes. There's just no way in the world. In fact, it would take a very long series to exhaust. I do think that it's very important... Uh, for us to understand that the definition of Christ is the anointed one, the anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're talking about the anointed one and his anointing. In fact, I, was, I didn't get into it Sunday because I didn't feel like I had time to, but there was one particular passage of Scripture where the Bible says that you have many antichrists with you That means there are many people, and a lot of people think, well, that means uh, people that say that they're the devil. No, that means in that particular passage of Scripture, it actually means that there are many people that are standing up and saying, you need to listen to me because I'm anointed. And the anointing that they work under is contrary to the anointing that Christ was under. But anyways, with all of that said, and that was just a little caveat there, but with all of that said... I feel like it's important for us to understand the importance of the anointing, the purpose of the anointing, and the reason why we need the anointing in our life. If we're going to effectively defeat the enemy that wars against our soul, which is the seat of our mind and our will and our emotions, then we're going to have to have the anointing in our life. So tonight we're going to talk about that it takes the anointing. We're going to talk about the purposes, some of the purposes of the anointing. 1 Samuel 16, 12 and 13 says this, So he sent and had David brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power came upon David in power. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus and we ask for the anointing that makes ministry effective tonight. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, their hearts to receive, and their spirits to absorb this tonight. God, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone that agrees with me says, Amen. Amen. I guess my question would be, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 through 13, where the Bible said that, they, that Samuel anointed David, and the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David with power, I guess the first thing that comes into my mind is, is not this the young man who was on the hills of Bethlehem, Judea, strumming his harp, singing to the Lord, writing psalms? Is not this the young man that stood before Saul one day and said, a lion came out against me and a bear came out against me, The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and I rose up and smote the lion and I rose up and smote the bear. So my question is this. David was used to the Spirit of the Lord being upon him. 
He was used to experiencing the flow of the Spirit of God upon him. But there's something different about 1 Samuel 16 verses 12 through 13 and that something different is the Bible said, and from that day forward the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. In power. So it's one thing feeling the Spirit of God. It's one thing, let me put it like this. It's one thing getting the glory bumps, the goosebumps. How many of you, every now and then you'll get in the presence of the Lord and the hair on your, on your arms will stand up or the hair on the back of your neck or something. A lot of times that's just your physical body responding to the presence of the Creator. And so what happens is your body responds because life is in it in force. And that's called the anointing. So just because you have goosebumps and you can sense the presence of the Lord upon you doesn't mean that you'll lay hands on somebody and they'll get their miracle. There is a different flow for that kind of anointing. And it's a flow of power. Now, let me say this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now that's in Acts chapter 1 actually. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we see another place in the scripture where the Bible signifies the difference between the Holy Spirit coming upon someone and the power of God actually coming into them. So the Holy Spirit is the key. The Holy Spirit is the vehicle. The Holy Spirit is what the anointing flows through. It's the container that will house the anointing. So when we get baptized with the Holy Spirit and become the resident, the Holy Spirit takes up resident in our life, then we actually have a container for the anointing which can flow through us in supernatural power. See, there's different levels of power just like there's different levels of glory. And, and so it's important to learn these things when we're talking about spiritual warfare. And so what I wanted to show you here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 was a distinction and I wanted to bring up a couple of those questions about David. I wanted to show you a distinction that took place when Samuel laid hands on him. First of all, the Bible said from that day forward the Spirit of the Lord was upon David so it didn't come in waves anymore. It was on him all of the time. And then the Bible said it was on him in power. In power. Now... In the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, the anointing speaks of an action or an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. So the question concerning the Holy Spirit's anointing arises, anointed for what? Why are we anointed? Why are we endued with power from on high? Why do we have the anointing in our life? First of all, let me establish the fact that even though the Holy Spirit is the container that houses the anointing, it is God who gives the anointing. It's God who gives the anointing and He does it because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21 through 22, the Bible says, Now it is God. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He anointed us and He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what, what, which was to come, that which was to come. So God has set Himself upon us. He set His seal upon us. He has anointed us. He has called us His own. 
He says, I own you. I set my seal of ownership upon you. And then the Bible says, after He anointed us, that He put His Spirit in our heart as a deposit. And when He put the Spirit in our heart as a deposit, then that Spirit attracts more of God. Because the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus flow together. So it's impossible to be baptized with the Holy Spirit... Now listen very carefully to me. It's impossible to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and not have access to the supernatural power that you need for every challenge you will ever face in your life. You say, well, does that mean I have it? No, you have access by the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I get it? By faith. By faith. Everything comes back to being by faith, doesn't it? You get it by faith. So for what purpose would he, would we desire the anointing? For what purpose would he want to put the anointing upon us? Why would he want to do that? Well, uh, a very generic answer, and a lot of people will tell you this, and it's biblical and it's scriptural, and obviously it's, uh, it all comes back to this. Uh, The Bible said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So first and foremost, we are anointed by God to show forth the exploits of the power of God for the purposes of witnessing of God's power to a world that's lost and undone without God. Nothing in the world will convince people that God is real quicker than an authentic miracle. I'm going to say that again because I don't think it's sunk in. Because it kind of went over me because it came by the Holy Ghost, you know. <laughs> Nothing in the world, help me Holy Ghost so I can remember, remember this now. Nothing in the world will convince a lost person of the power of God like an authentic miracle. It will attract a lost person to Christ. Because see, listen, the world is sick and tired of fake. They're tired of fake. They can sit down and watch a movie on television and that's all fake. It might be entertaining, but it's fake. Help me preach now. We got too many churches today that are entertaining, but they're fake. Preacher gets up after all the lights and all the smoke and nothing too too wrong with all of that thing, all of those types of things because it kind of reaches out and grabs this generation, but... But the thing about it is, is when you get to the point where, where, the, where the confidence is more in the power of the production than it is in the power of God and the power of the Holy Ghost, then the church has lost its way. And I think the church somehow today has lost its way from the supernatural power of God. They've lost their way and they have bowed at the altar of entertainment and they're preaching a gospel that they can't produce and so the lost thinks that Christianity is a fake. Let me tell you something. If we get up in the pulpit and we preach about miracles, we ought to be able to produce them. If we get up and preach and teach about prayer and we tell our friends about prayer over coffee and stuff like that, we better be practicing prayer in our own personal life. Don't be trying to tell people how to do something that you're not doing yourself. Tell people, well, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, you know, you're, you know, a Christian doesn't live like that. And then you go home and in secret, sweet Jesus. 
The purpose of the anointing is to root out. The purpose of the anointing is to show forth. The purpose of the anointing is to become a witness. It's to become a witness of Jesus Christ. And so when we bear the name of Christ and we produce the power of God because of Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit, then there is an attraction there to lost people that causes them to want to come to Jesus Christ. Now, let me continue on here, okay? Many Christians today fear witnessing because they think they have to do it with their own natural abilities. They say, well, I'm just not the type of person that can go knock on doors. Well, I mean, I know things are kind of different today. Instead of knocking on doors, you go on Facebook. That's where the world is anyway. Seriously. But they're afraid. They're afraid to, to, to talk to people. And the reason they are is because they think that they have to convince people with their own natural abilities. They have to use their own personal powers of persuasion. Listen, I don't have to use my personal powers of persuasion if I'm walking hand in hand with the Lord. If I've got the anointing that's inside of me, if I've got the anointing and if I've got an ear to hear what the Lord speaks to me, I could be like Smith Wigglesworth and go into a park every day and sit down on a bench and just wait for somebody to come by. And the anointing and the presence of God that's inside of me can just attract them to me. And so, You know, Smith Wigglesworth, in the last days of his life, he went to that park up from his house every single day and sat on a bench and he would not leave that park until he had won somebody to the Lord that day. Can you imagine being 70-some years old and winning a minimum of 365 people a year to the Lord? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? What was it? It was the anointing. The anointing that was in his life. So we don't have to worry about what to say. In fact, there are times in some of these events that I'm in, I, I look around and I think to myself, why in the world am I even here? Dear God, I'm just a little old preacher. You know, why am I here? And I'll hear the Lord speak to me and he'll say, do not be afraid of what you will say when you stand before kings because I will give you what to say in that hour. And what the Lord is letting me know is it's okay for you to feel that way. Your old flesh needs to feel that way. But you need to be walking in the Spirit when you're in this room. You need to be walking in the Spirit when you're talking to people about their soul. You need to be walking in the Spirit when you're talking to people about praying for them for them to get their miracle because that's the only way you're going to be able to tap the anointing that's necessary to bring the miracle about. Spiritual warfare. You've got to understand the anointing. We have to understand it. So we don't, we don't, we, you know, we, we, we try too hard. We try too hard to do things with our own natural abilities and our own persuasive power. No, the Bible said you will receive power to be His witnesses when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So quit worrying about, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Let's go hang out with Thelma in the pool at Family Fitness. She does water aerobics and tries to win everybody in the pool to Jesus at the same time. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, will make you a good witness. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Now look, Jesus stood up and He talked about the anointing. He said, this is, and this is where I was wanting to get to all night. Jesus stood up and here's what He said. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In this verse, five purposes 
of the anointing are revealed and they were revealed through the words of Jesus. They were also revealed by Jesus reading the Old Testament out of Isaiah. So first of all, he said, you have the anointing. The Bible said that he was anointed by God, first of all, to preach the good news effectively. To preach means to proclaim. It doesn't mean to stand up here like I do. That's a form of preaching. But to preach means to proclaim. And the Bible said to proclaim that the Lord is good. To proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, I hope I don't make you leave because I've had people leave my church because I've taught things to them like this. But I'm getting ready to teach to you because it's the Word. Are you ready for this? What is the good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor no more. That's the good news to the poor. Why did he say preach the good news to the poor? How come he didn't just say preach the good news? Because the first thing he wanted to do was bust that poverty spirit. The old devil wants you to think because you're a Christian that somehow being in poverty is humility. No, the most proud people I've ever seen in my life are people who are in poverty. And the reason is because all they have left is their pride. And the good news to the poor, Jesus said, I became poor so that you might become rich. Now, I'm not going to dwell there, but I just want you to think about that and mull over it for a little bit, okay? So the anointing will enable you to share this truth with people with impact. Now, if I was the devil... There are two things that I would, there are two teachings that I would try to propagate throughout the gospel, throughout the body of Christ. The first one is I would tell them that speaking in tongues and the power of God is no longer for today that it went out with the apostles. That's not in the, that's not in the Bible, it's not in the scripture. But if I was the devil, I would try to sell that bill of goods to people. Because if I can convince them of that, then they're no longer a threat to me. And the second thing I would do is I would try to mess with them concerning finances. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there's absolutely nothing in the world that will hold your heart like a buck. People kill each other for that stuff. Money is your servant. It's the necessary evil that we have to use today in order for the propagation of the gospel of Christ and it's the currency that we use today to be able to pay our bills and things like that. Don't let the devil twist your head up about finances. If I was the devil, I'd say, I'd say to everybody, I would tell them, I'd say every time that preacher says something about money, the first thing I'd tell them in their ear, well, all he ever wants is money. Or all she ever wants is money. If I was the devil, that's exactly what I would do. That's what I'd do. You know why? Because money answers all things. And if I can stop the flow of funds into the kingdom, then I can stop the flow of the message of the gospel around the world. Now, you know we don't beg for money around here, but I'm trying to make you understand that the good news to the poor is you don't have to be poor no more. And there's nothing wrong with a teacher or a pastor or your friend sitting down and opening up the scriptures and sharing over 1,500 scriptures that directly or indirectly speak of finances. If God cared that much about it, we should care that much about it too. And you know what it's all about in the scripture? 
encapsulated form, God says, I want your heart. That's what it's all about. Okay? The second thing that we need the anointing for there, and that's in in Luke chapter 4, it says to make you a messenger, to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, freedom from the prison of sin. Freedom from the prison of drugs. Freedom from the prison of depression. Freedom from the prison of life-dominating habits. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to anoint you not only to preach the good news to the poor, but I've sent you to proclaim freedom for prisoners. I, I want them to know that you can be free, that you don't have to live in bondage, and you don't have to live in sin, and you don't have to live in addiction, and you don't have to live under depression all of the time that the devil will fight you with these things. He'll hit you with them. He'll try to come against you with depression. He'll try to come against you with addiction. He'll try. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is able who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Then how come we fail, Pastor? Because you don't take the way to escape that's why that's why God's a covenant God God says I'll do this and you do this and together we'll accomplish this but if we're sitting around just waiting for God to do everything all of the time oh God would you please change that woman Lord she's so wrong and I know it, and you know it, and everybody else knows it. Why am I pointing at that chair right there? God, would you, God, would you change that woman? Okay, let me let me give you an example. Like, let me give you a, a real life example. Okay, our first church, we were doing well. We had went there. We were in a storefront. We were no longer in a storefront. We bought an old Methodist church across town. Beautiful place, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Parsonage next door. And I'm working on my degrees. It's been a long, long time ago. Jeremiah was born when we were there. The girls were a little tiny thing. I'm working on my degrees, so it was way back then. And so I'm in my 20s, my, my mid-20s. And um, I had just moved Donna about a year ago away from her mom and dad, five and a half hours. Now, Donna's an only child, and she grew up like an only child, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Dr. John, I'm going to have to have counseling later if you keep egging me like this. And so in the first several years of our marriage, Donna and I had war at times. I mean, we did. I mean, we had, I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of war, but I'm talking about, man, there was, there was not peace in the parsonage. Let's just say that. So one day, so one day, I'm over there at the parsonage. She said something sideways to me, and I just lit into her. I said, who in the world do you think you are? Don't you know I'm a man of God? You don't talk to a man of God like that. You don't treat a man of God. And besides that, I'm your husband. And, you know, and all this, and just rah, 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 rah. And I told her, I said, I'm going to the church to pray went out the front door and slammed the front door and walked across the little sidewalk over there, sat down there in the, in the uh, <laughs> study there in my, in, in my office, and I, 
and uh, I, I put my head down like this and I said, God, would you please do something with that woman? <laughs> oh, God. And I heard the Lord say, get up and go back to the house and hug her and tell her you're sorry and then come back and we can talk. I said, devil, I rebuke you. (laughs) But I knew that it was God. I knew it was God. So I got up, and it took a lot. I had sat there for a few minutes because I was angry. I was, you know, we were in our first five years of marriage, and, you know, and I was married to an only child, and, you know, and and, uh, all of that. So I I was, you know, so I got up. I went over, and um, I sat down at the kitchen table, and she came in there, you know, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. She come in there. She looked at me. I said, sit down. I need to talk to you. She sat down. She said, oh, yeah? What did God say? <laughs> so he told, I told her what the Lord said. And it took a little while, but she let me hug her. And uh, I went back. To the part or to, to my office, and I sit down and I said, Okay, God, I did what you wanted me to do. Now, would you please change that woman? <laughs> and here's what he said to me I'll change you. I said, Okay, okay. And I started a process of letting the Lord work on me and letting the Lord change me. And it took some time. When I say some time, I'm not talking about 10 minutes. I'm talking about a few weeks. It took some time for, because it seemed like every time I opened my mouth, it was wrong. And every time I'd want to get mad at her, I'd hear God say, I'll change you. How did I get off on that? Sometimes God needs to change us. When he said that I'll give you the anointing to, to set you free, to, bring, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, freedom from sin, freedom from drugs, depression, life-dominating life habits and things like that, sometimes we need to take an inner look inside of ourselves and we're so busy praying for other people. God, would you please change them? God, would you please change them? God, would you please... Here's what the Bible says about that. Get the moat out of your own eye before, or get the beam out of your own eye before you try to get the moat out of your brother's. And so when he says that he'll proclaim freedom for the prisoners, sometimes we are are prisoners in prisons of our own making because of the attitudes that we have developed. And what we need to do is we need to say, God, change me. God, change me. 
Then he said, we are anointed to, to bring, the anointing comes to bring recovery of sight to the blind. And I believe this talks about both natural and spiritual healing. And the reason I, I haven't got the scripture here, but the reason I believe that is because the Bible talks in the book of Corinthians where when we are praying for someone that doesn't know Christ, then the correct way to pray for them is to pray that God removes the scales from their eyes so that they see the need to give their life to Christ. There's a lot of people out here that are not giving their life to Christ because they simply see no value in it. And they're blinded by sin and they're blinded by what the world tells them and they're blinded by the theologies and the philosophies of today. In fact, they're blinded, many of them, by Hyper-grace, dare I say it. They're, they're blinded by hyper-grace and there's teaching that is just going rampant in the church today that's trying to tell people you can do whatever you want to do as long as you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You're still going to go to heaven. Oh, your gifts might not be what they would be, but you're still going to make it. So go right ahead and live it up. Let me tell you, that's not the Bible that I read. The Bible that I read says, Come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. I still believe in holiness. I still believe in sanctification. I still believe that we are set apart for a specific purpose to God. If we're a Christian, there's a road we need to walk. There's a talk we need to talk. There's, and I'm not talking about Christianese. I'm talking about we need to present ourselves as Christians. We need to. So when the Bible says here that uh, there's recovery of sight to the blind, that's talking about both the natural and spiritual healing. There are some people that need as much spiritual healing as they do natural healing when it comes to blindness. People that have been taught all of their life that the power of God is not for today need the Lord to take the scales, excuse me, the scales off of their eyes so that they can experience that from the Lord. They can experience that power from the Lord. We are anointed to release the oppressed. All around us are people who are oppressed by demonic attacks. They're oppressed by sickness. They're oppressed by oppression. And we have a message to release them. And that message is Jesus. And then the Bible says this, We are anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to people who are unlearned of the comforting message of God's grace. We are anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why I stand up here every Sunday and declare over you, you have God's favor in your life. You know why? Because I'm anointed to declare favor over you. How come you're anointed? Because I'm saved and full of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm your pastor. If you're saved and full of the Holy Ghost, you're anointed to declare the year of the Lord's favor. You need to start declaring the year of God's favor over people around you, over your children, over your family, over your neighbors. Just talk about the favor of God. Just rejoice when you get a fog spot when you go into, into a place. You know, I mean, what's a fog spot? Favor of God spot. You know, it's a parking place up. Real close, you know, when there's all kinds of cars in the parking lot. I had something happen to me the other day. I'm driving around. I said, God, where's my fog spot? And it was, I mean, there was nothing. And, and I, I parked at the end of the, and I'm walking up through there. And I said, God, I said, where was my fog spot? And it's almost like I heard God chuckling. He said, I gave it to you. You needed a walk. Hilarious. Don't tell me he don't have a sense of humor. Man. 
Acts chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now notice, the same attention is paid to doing good as the attention is to healing. One of the graces of a Christian, one of the anointings of Christians is that we go around doing good. In other words, we go around trying to bless people all of the time. We need to get up in the morning instead of saying, God bless me today, we need to start praying saying, Lord, who can I bless today? It's a totally different level of living. It's a totally different way of living and way of thinking. And you know something? You say, well, I don't have the money to bless people. Well, what makes you think you need money to bless people? You don't need money to bless people. My goodness, you could flash a smile to somebody who hadn't had, a, hadn't had anyone smile at them in three weeks and it could totally lift. Do you know how many people tell my wife the hug that I get you, from you on Sunday morning is the only hug I get all week long? There are people that tell her that almost every week. There are people that come here for Donna hugs. Because she reaches out and she loves them. And people say, well, why don't you go back there with it? Because that's her ministry. I'm not going to go and overshadow that. I'm going to let her operate in her ministry. I'll stay up here and pray for you. And when you're going out, you can always count on a Donna hug if you want it. It's comfort. It's comfort. He went around doing good. She's doing good. That hug doesn't cost her anything. It doesn't cost her anything. doesn't cost you anything, but it sure feels good. Yes, it does. I'm her husband, I know. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how can I do it? The Holy Spirit anointing brings power to do good. Well, I don't know what to do. Listen to the Holy Ghost. Let Him guide you. Let Him lead you. In fact, the Greek word here for doing good only occurs twice in the New Testament and it has the meaning of a philanthropist or a benefactor. So you just go around just trying to bless people. And uh, and, in vines it calls it or, or it talks about it bestowing benefits upon people. Benefits. One of the things that our young adults did last Thursday night, some of the guys got together and we had a lady in our church who was having some problems and she's not very well physically. And some of our young guys went over to her house and they mowed her grass and cleaned up her yard and and, you know, I mean, there are things like that that go on out of this church all of the time. We, we probably should talk about them more. But there's things like that that go on all of the time out of this church. Why? Why? How come Lakewood has been so successful? Because Lakewood doesn't think that we're just about what's inside these four walls. We're trying to be a blessing to the community. So the anointing, now listen very closely, the anointing is not just about healing and preaching and delivering and miracle working. It's also to be a benefactor and do good and help needy people. The same anointing that will come on you to pray for somebody's miracle is the same anointing that can come on you to meet the needs of those that are needy. It's It's a ministry called... A paymaster anointing. A paymaster anointing. 
on the spiritual side, and we're, we're, clo- we're, we're bringing it in here for a landing, but on the spiritual side, the anointing, this, we're okay, we're just going to close like this. On the spiritual side, the anointing gives us power to break the devil's yoke in people's lives. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20 and also verse 26 and 27. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Verse 26 says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you and you don't need those to teach you that are trying to lead you astray but as His anointing teaches you about all these things and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. So one of the reasons that we have the anointing is for discernment. It's for discernment. We can discern. I have always said I'm not afraid for anyone to check out what I preach. Go home. Get in the Word. Study it. Make sure I'm teaching right. I'm a student of the Word. I'm a lover of the Word. I love the Word of God. I will never ever knowingly get up here and preach something that is contrary to the Word of God on purpose. Have you ever made mistakes, Pastor? Duh. <laughs> I'm human. Absolutely. There are times even since I've been pastoring this church, that I've had to get in the pulpit the next Sunday and say, you know what? I made a mistake last week. Yeah. You say, well, that's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? No, not really. Not really. I'm thankful the correction came. The Bible teaches us to be lovers of correction. I'm thankful the correction came because the next time I preach it, I won't make that mistake. Don't think. All right. Finally, the anointing empowers us to hear and discern and hold on to the truth. The Bible says you have an anointing and you know the truth. So in summary, we are anointed for many purposes. We have the power to be effective witnesses. We have the power to share good news. Freedom from prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's favor and grace, to be paymasters and do good things for needy people, to break the devil's yoke on the lives of people who are bound up by the enemy, and then we have the anointing that teaches us and helps us discern the truth of God's word versus error. So these are just some of the reasons that we need the anointing. Okay? I'll learn anything tonight? I love studies on the anointing. My goodness, it's, it's so, so, so powerful. So powerful. And I love it when it flows too. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's just like liquid oil or liquid fire, isn't it? Let's all stand. Come on. Thank you for joining us today on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 
9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. <laughs>